0: To another edition of the- Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. We hope Max is a fan of Berlin because Blaster is going to take his breath away in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, one minute at a time. I'm Rick.
1: And I'm Julia.
0: And today we're talking about minute 33, which begins with Blaster using Max as a human trampoline and it ends with Max narrowly escaping impalement. Joining us for one last day of watching Max get the snot beaten out of him is Scott Corelli, the host of the Spider Man Minute podcast. Thanks for having me back, guys. It has been an eventful week, I'd say, <laughs> watching Mel Gibson just get the tar just knocked out of him. Fun fact about this scene is that Mel Gibson, though he had a stunt double, insisted that he get into the harness as much as possible.
1: Any information on why?
0: Because it looked so much fun. Hmm. Okay. I know that sounds like a cop-out answer, but I'm pretty sure that's what I keep hearing.
1: No, I don't think it's a cop-out answer at all. I like that answer because it does look like a lot of fun. Until we see the very end of the last minute and the very beginning of this minute, now it does not look like fun anymore. (laughs) That reminds me. This is a little bit off topic, but it just reminds me. Filming Game of Thrones, the fight scenes were so intense that the production had a safe word. So if you like actually got hurt during the filming, you'd yell out the safe word, banana. I think Mel probably should have had a safe word Mm. for filming this because I've seen behind the scenes footage Of them filming the scene where Blaster is jumping on Mel Gibson's back. And it looks very real.
0: (laughs) To see Max react to it, it definitely feels real. Mm -hmm. The way he's hitting the ground and getting all of his air pushed out of him. Yeah. It's very rough. Definitely not an ideal situation.
2: I mean, there's so much leather and latex around. You'd think that there'd just be a safe word anyway.
0: (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like, upon entering Barter Town, not only do you trade and get your tokens for what you trade for, but you also get your safe word assigned to you? Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Max is not liking the situation he's in, and so he takes this opportunity to try and reach for his secret weapon. Unfortunately for him, he has stashed his secret weapon around his I'd say upper thigh knee area. He's got a leather thing wrapped around his leg that he's hidden his whistle in and it just seems to me like an inconvenient place to hide your whistle.
1: I keep going back and forth on this because in the past movies, we have learned that Max is very clever. He knows what he's about and he knows how to set things up to his own advantage. So the fact that he would put the whistle so far away from himself.
0: Like from his core. Yeah,
1: from his core. Seems strategically like a bad choice.
2: Yeah, I agree. Does he have pockets? It doesn't look like these pants have pockets. (laughs) Yeah, I doubt it. I don't think so. Yeah. I think he's just doing the best he can. I don't... I mean, because, like, what's his outfit here? It's a torn-up T-shirt tucked into leather pants with no pockets. It looks like he's got the whistle just sort of, like, entwined in, like, the lacing in the leg of his pants. Yeah. I I think he's just doing the best he can. I think that's the only place he could put it. He's able to get the whistle. It's not like it's
0: completely inaccessible. It just seems like an inconvenient place when you're getting jumped on.
2: Has he had the whistle for a while?
0: Oh, yeah. He's had it since the beginning of the movie, was pushed off of the wagon by his monkey after he got his wagon stolen
2: so he had time to find a place to put the whistle i guess that's just the best place he could come up with i don't know yeah
0: what's unfortunate for him is that he gets the whistle and he tries to blow in it and i guess he thinks that because he's getting all the wind pushed out of him Every time he hits the ground, that it'll be really easy for him to blow the whistle. Unfortunately, he hits the ground, his mouth pops open, and the whistle falls into the dirt, and then he's got to frantically search for it in amongst the dust.
1: I understand why Max went for the whistle right now. Blaster literally could kill him at any moment. He just has to jump hard enough on Max to, I don't know, crush something, and Max would be dead. So of course, he has to, it's now or never, he has to go for the whistle. But what crappy timing? Mm-hmm. when he's being thrown about so physically to try and get this little tiny object that's not secured to him in any way. It's just bad timing. So of course he's going to drop it and lose it in the dirt. I don't I don't know what he reasonably expected to happen.
2: Hmm. Does he know what the whistle does?
0: When Max was in Underworld, mm-hmm. he was able to figure out that if he blows the whistle, it will disable Blaster. Oh, right. Blaster will hear the whistle and then basically grab his helmet trying to block his ears, but there's no way to reach through the helmet to block his ears. So right. If he can blow that whistle at this point, it'll cause Blaster to pretty much fall off of him and allow Max to get his feet, but it doesn't really happen that way.
2: Right, 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 right. Yeah, see, I I just think that the whole, the whole thing is... Uh... I I I mean, you've got these super long latex things. Like, why why isn't he just going full on job of the hut on this guy? Like, just wrap one of those things around his neck. End the fight. I don't like. You know, he he can't get to a weapon, but like he could he could use that. I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think from Max's side, he's not practiced or experienced enough with the bungees to have that much control mm. right now. He needs to like get his bearings and kind of get his feet under him a little bit more. And from Blaster's side, I don't think he is so aggressively out to kill Max. I think he's, like we said, Wednesday, he's playing with his food. Right, yeah. So I think neither of them are doing it, but for different reasons. Right. But that would be an excellent move. You don't need a weapon. You don't need to jump on them or tire them out. Yeah, you just got to get the bungee cord around their neck.
2: And then, yeah, you just, you wrap the bungee cord around their neck and then they keep almost dying. (laughs) Yeah. What Blaster does
0: instead is he picks Max up and he puts him in a bear hug. And it's always nice to see moves from the Road Warrior make an appearance here in Thunderdome because this is the exact thing that Humongous did to Wes when Wes got a little big for his britches and tried to seize control of the Humongous's machine. Mm. And it makes me wonder, in a fight between Humongous and Blaster... Who do you think would win? We'll go with Thunderdome rules instead of out on the highway.
1: Are there bungee cords?
0: Oh, of course. Okay.
1: Well, either way, with or without, I think Humongous would win. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think Humongous is stronger and he's more practiced in actually killing people, Mm -hmm. like on purpose.
0: Yeah. You think... Humongous' intellect would come into play and he would just outmaneuver Blaster? Yes. I think that's pretty safe to say. All right, what about Wes versus Blaster?
1: (laughs) I still think it would be Wes. Yes, Blaster is strong and experienced. And that does give him an upper hand, but I think his intellectual disabilities are a disadvantage.
0: Well, you've got to keep in mind that Blaster has killed, according to Master, 20 other combatants Mm -hmm. up to this point. He's no slouch combat wise.
2: I actually think Wes is such a psychopath. I mean, he's such a maniac that I think it would actually end up being a disadvantage because I feel like uh, Blaster is a li- would be a little more cool and collected, you know, just like more comfortable because I could just picture it kind of going down in the Thunderdome equivalent of like the guy with the sword and then Indy just shoots him in the head, like shoots him, you know, like that's <laughs> yeah. kind of what I picture a fight between Wes and Blaster blaster to look like. Whereas Humongous, I think would be a, would be more of a, a match to see. I think Wes would just go crazy or not take it seriously and then uh, immediately get killed. <laughs> yeah, I could see that.
1: Yeah, I can definitely see Wes's instability being his downfall.
2: That all being said, no one would beat Feral Kid in the Thunderdome. No one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think his size would be his advantage. Yeah. He would just skitter up to one of the weapons. Uh Uh-huh probably the same one that Blaster gets by the end of this minute, the machete on a stick basically. <laughs> yeah. And he would just throw that at his opponent and he'd be good to go. Plus
2: as uh, as Rick pointed out on Wednesday's minute, Blaster's turning Max into a, a human boomerang and Feral kid knows a thing or two about boomerangs. <laughs> so they'd be in his element. <laughs> he's yeah. he's
0: already good at throwing them. Imagine how deadly he can be if he becomes one. <laughs> right. Ooh.
2: Yeah, he would just take two weapons on either side or in front of him, and then he'd just fling himself around until he stabbed the thing to death.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that would be quite a show. I, that would be fun to watch. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Feral Kid. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I have a question. Do you think if Wes had been the one to show up instead of Max, do you think Wes would have been taken to audition for Auntie the way that Max was?
0: I don't think Wes would have gone quietly. Mm-hmm. I don't think Wes would have allowed himself to be escorted through the streets of Bartertown and brought up to Auntie.
1: Yeah, he would have fought every step of the way.
0: I th- kind of see Wes as the kind of guy that enjoys fighting to the point that he would see auntie's guards advancing on him and he would not think, oh, I'll just threaten the collector. I will fight the guards. And he'll just have five or six guys gang up on him and they'll have (laughs) to put him down in the tunnel and then drag him out to the desert.
1: (laughs) Even if there was something inside that he wanted, even if he needed his Camel's back.
0: I mean, I might not be giving Wes enough credit, but I just don't see him as the sensible type.
2: <laughs>
0: the type to exercise enough patience to succeed in this arena.
1: If he had made it up to Auntie's penthouse, I would honestly worry for Auntie's safety. I can imagine Wes beating all her guards and harming her. Yeah. He's just crazy. Yeah. And I think his psychoticness is is accentuated by time since, you know, analyzing that movie, but I don't know. It's just a loose cannon.
0: (laughs) Getting back to the minute at hand, Blaster now has Max in a bear hold and Max has more or less his forearms free and he's trying to raise his whistle to his lips and he almost gets to blow it. But Blaster, I guess, puts an extra little bit of squeeze on him and that whistle flies out of his mouth and just gets lost in the dirt once again. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, this whistle. (laughs) I know that in the end it's going to be handy, but for starters,
2: so far, it's more trouble than it's worth. It reminds me of when you're playing a video game and you're in like a boss level or something and you have like a weapon that's like this complicated thing that you're trying to use to beat this boss. Boss, But you just keep getting the crap beaten out of you because you keep trying to use this weapon, but it takes too long to load or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then eventually you end up being the boss by just ignoring that weapon and just using the ones that are easier to use. <laughs> and it takes a little bit longer, but it gets the job done and that's all that matters. That's what this reminds me of. It's like he's paying too much attention to the whistle when he should just be paying attention to the fight.
0: Yeah, his focus should be getting away from Blaster. Yeah. Not so so much trying to disable him at this very moment. Right.
2: Yeah, cuz
1: he does still have plenty of weapons at his disposal. He just has to get away from Blaster long enough to get them.
2: Right. Yeah. I do like when Blaster is jumping on his back and we keep cutting back and forth, we cut back and forth between like Max like flailing on the ground and then we cut back to Blaster. That like sort of uh, low shot up, like looking up at Blaster. And he just looks so tranquil, bouncing up and down on Max's body. (laughs) Yeah, he does. (laughs) Like he's just like, ah, another Sunday. Like he just, it's so funny. I don't know. Uh, He's just very, very cool about all this.
0: Going back to the idea that Julia brought up about how Blaster's time in the Thunderdome is his time without Master on his back mm-hmm blaster goes day to day with a literal monkey on his back constantly telling him what to do and where to go and what to interact with and when he's here in the dome blaster is just free free to play and
2: frolic and kill people it's- is blaster jumping up and down on max is it you know like a psychological thing where he's like, now I'm on someone's back. Ooh, oh, I like that.
1: I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about the harness that Blaster wears, that Master sits in, and he's not wearing that harness right now. Mm-hmm. And you know what I equate it to, gentlemen who have no idea what I'm talking about? I equate it to wearing a bra.
0: You're right. I have no experience with that.
1: All day, every day, you're wearing a harness. And... It hurts, and it's uncomfortable, and the best thing in the world is at the end of the day when you get to take it off, and how free and wonderful that is. <laughs> I can absolutely relate to Blaster right now.
0: <laughs> As he's squeezing the life from Max.
1: Yes. You could Out also say that you- joy. <laughs>
0: You can also say that you probably can relate to Max having all the air crushed out of him. Yes. <laughs> After Max drops his whistle, he's still in Blaster's clutches for a little bit. The spectators are going wild. They're cheering for him and the next time we cut back to the fighters blaster seems to be holding an unconscious max aloft and he's doing a little bit of showboating do you think max has lost consciousness it sure looks like it i don't think it's a prolonged unconsciousness i think it's just a momentary little drift out of focus type of thing
2: Mm. okay i think he did something to him that we didn't get to see because this is pg-13 and so they cut to a yeah. reaction shot of the audience being like, oh, look what he just did. That was the most amazing yeah, thing ever. <laughs> and we're never going to see it because this movie's PG-13. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's sort of giving him an atomic wedgie right now. <laughs> yeah. blaster is certainly
0: loving this attention the spectators are chanting and they're chanting something and for the longest time i was convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that they were chanting blaster's name but the more i listened the more i wasn't sure about myself i thought they were also chanting blood basically telling blaster okay all of this has been fun but we want to see blood
1: well that's what we're chanting all of this has been fun but we want to see blood So did you ever decide what they're saying?
0: Some of them might have been chanting blaster. Some of them might have been chanting blood. I'm not really sure. I think I'd rather have them chanting blood though. Like if I had to choose.
2: Yeah, I think they're probably chanting blood, but it's a bummer because it's like, they're chanting blood, but we're not going to get any. Nope. Because this movie's PG-13. Yeah. <laughs> it just feels like, I don't know, you're watching this movie and you're like, oh man, here it comes. And then no- nothing's going to happen because it's it can't. Ugh.
1: Right. We're waiting for an arm to get ripped off and nothing happens.
2: I want to see some audience participation of them just sticking chainsaws through the cage. Like, I just want just crazy stuff. (laughs) Like, that's the problem with the Thunderdome. It's just, it's not crazy enough. It needs to be insane. I have half a mind to just tell, uh, (laughs) if he ever works out this uh, lawsuit that he's got going on with Warner Brothers right now, George Miller, just remake Thunderdome. Just do it again, but do it better and make it R-rated.
1: Yeah. Definitely make it R-rated.
2: Yeah. You don't even have to remake the rest of the movie. Just the Thunderdome part. Just put the Thunderdome in another movie. (laughs) Yeah. Just call it
0: Mad Max Thunderdome. Skip the beyond entirely. Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) After... Blaster is done showboating. He starts to pull Max back once more so he can fling him out. And we get a quick shot of Auntie. And she's doing another one of those things where she's doing her best to not look concerned, but you can still kind of tell that she's not feeling good about this situation. Mm
1: -hmm. Oh, yeah. She's giving it away. And she needs to be careful because if Master notices how concerned she is about Max and his (laughs) about-to-lose-ness... (laughs) Master is very smart. He is going to put two and two together and theorize that Max is working for Auntie.
0: Well, that would be the case. But every time we see Master, he is so laser focused on Blaster, Mm -hmm. more so than everybody else in that booth. And we're not going to see too many shots of Master specifically before the week's out. But next week, we're going to get several close-in angles on Master looking very concerned. More so than Auntie ever does.
2: They kind of have a Malakili-Rancor relationship, don't they? Yes,
0: they do. Yeah.
2: <laughs> now I want to see uh, what was going on at Java's Palace before, where Malakili was like riding around the Rancor. <laughs> bossing people around. <laughs>
0: Now, that's a name I have not heard for a long, long time.
2: Long time. (laughs) Hey, it only came out two years before this. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It was fresh. It's a fresh reference in 1985. You know, the other thing, too, that I'm just noticing, like every time we do these sort of uh, tighter shots of the crowd, especially of the, what did you call it? The owner's box? Yeah. Yeah. The owner's box shots. One of the things that really struck me when I watched these, because I watched these when I I was younger and then watched them again when I was, I don't know, like a few years ago before uh, Fury Road. I was watching them for like the first time in years. And the thing that really struck me, especially about this one in particular, and Bartertown in particular is I don't know how well versed in comics you guys are but there's a lot of um, fourth world in this like it kind of feels like apocalypse like where uh, Darkseid presides in the DC universe and things like that mm-hmm. Auntie's a little bit like Granny Goodness and there's just there's a lot here and man I, I remember watching this and just thinking God George Miller would make a phenomenal fourth world movie if they could ever do that I think at one point wasn't he toying with the idea of making a Superman movie or something like that. They were talking about that kind of recently.
0: You know, I thought I heard some rumors about a George Miller Justice League movie.
2: Yeah, there definitely was a Justice League movie. They're making a documentary about what it was going to be. Yeah. That's, I think, coming out this year sometime. But I think recently he was being talked about for doing like a Man of Steel sequel. Huh. I Yeah, I just, I watched this and that's all I think about is like Fourth World and like the Jack Kirby stuff from the DC universe. Yeah. That's what all of this reminds me of a lot. And man, it's cool. I just, I mean, I talked about this last time I was on, you know, when I requested the dog food eating scene. My favorite thing about this initial trilogy is seeing the history of the post-apocalypse. right? The gas shortage and then the water shortage and just like how things evolve over time and how you had most of your society left in the first one. There's absolutely no society. There's just like little gangs in the second one. And now you have like a kingdom here in yeah, Bartertown. civilization. Yeah. Civil like a legit civilization, not a good one, but a legitimate one. <laughs> um and i and i just i think that's so fascinating and they don't really call attention to it uh to the world building that's happening in these it's ah, it's just very uh very well done mm. uh i just i really like it a lot it's cool
0: yeah i really like how Miller is able to paint all of these vivid pictures and he doesn't call so much attention to them. Like he surrounds his actors with all of these vivid portraits of a world that has fallen into ruin and he doesn't even think anything of it. Like there's so much going on behind the scenes and it's like, you know, it's just set dressing. Yeah, And it's so much deeper than it probably needs to be. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's richer for it. Mm -hmm.
1: And that's definitely an aspect of Miller's style of storytelling that allows for super analysis Mm -hmm. like we do yeah there really is enough there that we can take these movies minute by minute and actually you know really find stuff to talk about because there is so much going on in the background Mm -hmm. and so much to suppose and to theorize and to talk about
2: right The world building is there, but it's not really on the forefront very much. Yeah. Like it's all just being done in the background and the way that the world works and the way that it's evolved over time. But he never makes it explicit. It's just like, I figured this out and it's there, but I'm not going to talk about it because it doesn't actually matter to this particular story. I just want it to all make sense when you watch it in a row, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just, I really love that. I think that's great. (laughs) And then Fury Road happens and I'm not even really, I'm not entirely sure where where or when that takes place Um, or if it's even the same universe as this one. slingshotting
0: back into the Thunderdome real quick because we've been off on a tangent again. Max has been once again grabbed by the legs and Blaster, instead of flinging Max through the air, has decided to use Max as a battering ram as he rushes towards the side of the Thunderdome and more or less just throws him into the side of the wall and Max just goes face first into the bars.
1: There's a very real possibility that this move could have or should have killed Max. Mm Mm-hmm. Running headfirst into a steel bar really, really could have killed him.
2: Yeah. (laughs) It's a wrestling move, especially when Max like actually hits the thing and he does like the thing where he kind of catches himself with the hand, but then reacts like he got hit in the head. Oh, yeah. It's a straight up wrestling move. I, I really, I appreciate that. This being a cage match and all.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Throughout this fight, I've definitely noticed similarities to a wrestling performance Mm -hmm. that is scripted and staged and certain things are supposed to happen and there's a storyline going on Mm -hmm. definite parallels with that and i'm wondering if the choreographer for this fight has experience with professional wrestling
2: wrestling was really big at this point right in 85 oh yeah yeah mid 80s yeah it was right before the dip before it came back in the mid 90s I think. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense. I wonder if this is actually just trying to sort of play into the popularity of wrestling at this point. That makes sense to me. Yeah.
1: That might have been a strategy on how to show a fight that was capable of killing someone without showing blood and gore. Yeah. Using wrestling moves that look great and look painful, but are done in such a way That people don't get hurt.
2: Yeah. But then Blaster gets the pointy object, and now it's time for people to get hurt. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Max is left crumbled on
0: the side of the dome, and then Blaster, throwing all sense of physics out the window, slingshots himself. Blasts, maybe. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Blaster blasts himself up across the dome (laughs) and very dexterously picks up that giant, like you said, Julia, machete on a stick from the wall, and then glides back down mm-hmm. to the ground.
2: It's sort of like a like a saber or something. The way that it sort of like curves at the end that way. Yeah. It looks like the thing the guy in uh, Aladdin was going to chop Aladdin's hands off with.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think this is the guandao mm. that I mentioned back when they were showing off the weapons, the long-handled curved back blade from the China region of the world. <laughs> The The Chinese province or whatever. I don't know.
1: The way that Blaster goes for this weapon was very smooth. It made it look like he knew exactly where it was. And he specifically wanted that weapon. Mm
0: -hmm. Do you think it's his favorite?
1: Yes, Mm -hmm. perhaps. It also made me wonder if the weapons are in the same place every time, if they have assigned seating.
2: I think so. Because you got to have like particular straps for particular weapons, right? Like to hold them in place, but not to hold them too tightly because you want them to get to them.
1: Yeah. I think blaster was definitely helped to get up to... That weapon. Mm,
0: By the guys controlling the bungees?
1: Yes. (laughs) They tightened up his bungee while not tightening up Max's bungees.
2: Oh, collusion. Mm -hmm.
1: Yes. Yes. Absolutely.
2: (laughs) This whole thing is crooked. This whole Thunderdome business.
0: (laughs) This Bloodsport Murder Dome is completely corrupt. (laughs) How dare they!
2: What kind of Thunderdome are you guys oh, running here? What kind of half-baked operation? This is supposed to be a fair fight. I would love if this scene ended with just Max just ridiculing everyone for running a corrupt Thunderdome <laughs> and then just leaving everyone behind in shock.
0: <laughs> just giving everyone a firm talking to. Yeah,
2: Well,
1: it's not in the rules that you can't pay the bungee guys. To work in your favor.
2: It's true. There are no rules.
0: (laughs) Yeah. When Dr. Dealgood says you won't break the rules because there are none. Except for all the rules. Except for all the rules, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) What kind of rule would be that you're not allowed to pay off the bungee guys? It's Well, I
1: think that would be a separate set of laws, though, like corruption laws. Like apply to everything there's not just corruption laws that apply to fast food businesses and corruption laws that apply to the supermarket it's just corruption laws yeah
0: but every law in this town has like a funny little couplet that goes along to it like it would be don't pay the bungee guy before you watch someone die or something like that (laughs) although usually the law is like the thing you're not supposed to do and then the punishment like bust a deal face the wheel so yeah. It would be like, pay the bungee guy, watch your family die, or something like that. Oh, I don't know. Oh, wow. Dark.
2: Wow, harsh.
0: When you're trying to deal with punishments, what other things rhyme with guy except for die?
2: <laughs> Are there Are a lot of families in Bartertown. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Alright, maybe not families. Maybe like maybe, pets or something like maybe that. Maybe that's why
2: there's no
1: children in Bartertown. Yeah. Maybe.
0: They fed them all to the pigs.
1: Dark. That's, that's <laughs> really dark. We need to climb out of the mud.
0: Uh, <laughs> speaking of climbing out of dark situations, Blaster readies his giant machete on a stick and he starts charging at Max. And Max inexplicably, in my eyes, gets his act together enough that he's able to fling himself away. Like, out of the way. In a flip. So that Blaster just charges right past him he
2: flips over him
1: yeah all of a sudden he's figured out how to use this to his advantage the bungees
0: yeah it's weird yeah it's a full-on spider-man move exactly it's a spider-man move yeah
1: yes it's it's this movie he saw in a movie once
0: (laughs) a long time ago (laughs) you guys remember that old movie with that kid who was in a cage match with bone all these references they all come full circle (laughs) This little flip maneuver might be these bungee guys helping Max out a little bit. They don't think it would be sporting to have Max skewered on the side of the dome, so they maybe give him a little extra tension on the bungee to help him flip out of the way.
1: You know, who do those bungee guys work for? Who is their boss?
0: Do you think the dome is its own own institution?
2: You were going to say entity.
0: I almost did.
2: Yeah. Maybe they're the directors. You know, like they're-
0: Or like there's a Teamsters union.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah. And they're putting on the show. <laughs> yeah. The fighters are doing their thing, but like, it's also, it's their job. They were giving Blaster the advantage earlier, but now they're like, okay, well now let's switch it up. You know, like like a wrestling match where one guy is winning for a while, mm-hmm. then the other guy turns around and starts winning. And then the guy who was winning at the beginning wins the match suddenly yeah it's like every wrestling match right like that's just how you tell the story and so maybe that's kind of what they're doing is they're manipulating these bungee cords just to tell the story that they want to tell
0: right it's like the two georges george ogilvy and george miller are just sitting at the top of the dome and they're the ones controlling the tension on the cord yeah because they're the ones calling the shots Ooh, totally
1: i like that <laughs> totally
0: This flip move brings us to the end of the minute. We're going to see at the very beginning of next week where Blaster ends up with this little charge move that's working out, Max is going to finally find his feet and actually start participating in this match so it's not so much of a beatdown. But, Scott, unfortunately we're not going to have you for those
2: minutes. It's been
0: great having
2: you here. Where can people find more of you? Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Scott Corelli. You can find all of my shows at DuelingGenre.com. I am the current host of Spider-Man Minute, The Doctor's Companion, which is a Doctor Who podcast, The Cornetto Minute. I am the past host of Back to the Future Minute, so you can check all of those out at duelinggenre.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And definitely do because if there's one place on the internet that I like getting content from, it's duelinggenre.com. Because not only do they have all of the shows that Scott just mentioned, but you've also got stuff like Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings Minute. You got the Protagonist Podcast. You've got
2: Immunities, uh, which is a Original audio drama and then uh, Geek by Night, which is the original audio drama that I created and uh, show run with uh, Nick and uh, lots of other stuff. Rocky Minute. Um, speaking of uh, matches in rings type areas, um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, we have tons of shows over there. Toy Story Minute, lots of podcasts. So go check out what we got over there, please.
0: And if you have not had enough of us this week, we... We always have our Patreon show, which we lovingly call Anarchy Road, where we are going through Hook five minutes at a time. <laughs> it is week 11 on Anarchy Road, where Peter Mouth cheats on his wife with not one, not two, but three different mermaids. We also get introduced to Rufio, which is kind of awesome. And the Lost Boys take a page out of Shakespeare's Henry the Sixth, part two, specifically Act 4, scene two, and decide to kill all the lawyers. Ha
1: <laughs> Mouth cheats? Oh, yeah. I mean, I know what you're talking about, but I'm not sure i have ever heard that turn of phrase before. Well, yeah. Mouth he's cheats. He's a
0: married man, and he is open mouth kissing three strange women Just that just came out of nowhere.
1: Yeah. I and... mean, they're half
0: fish. So maybe he's only, instead of cheating three times, he's only cheating one and a half times. Because they're half women, half fish.
1: Okay. And if I'm not mistaken, he mouth cheats again in the movie. One more time.
0: Yeah. Peter Banning is not a great guy.
1: No, he's (laughs) not.
0: (laughs) But there's plenty of time to talk about that in The weekend Show. Come join us on that. It's a good time. In the meantime, we're going to put a pin in this. We're going to come back on Monday, like I said. Blaster is going to show us why the Splash Zone might not be the best place to stand. So you have that to look forward to. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham.
1: Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers.
0: Join our Patreon by clicking the support link, or make a one time donation by clicking the donate link.
1: Thank you for joining us for Minute 33 of Beyond Thunderdome. See you next time. Over!